Parker, they're at the back. They're at the back. Okay, yeah, pick up one of those. So, um, so exciting, so exciting. So pick up one. Of those. Okay, so um, I don't have time to go over the order of life. So if you're visiting with us, basically everything goes in this order. It starts with words and it ends at a destination. It starts with God's word, ends with the destination God has for you. If it starts with your parents' words and you live by what they said, then you're going to get to where they want you to be in life. If you go with the enemy's words, you'll get to the enemy's destination. It goes words, thoughts, emotions, beliefs, actions, habits, character, destiny. Starts with God. We want it. If it starts with God, it'll end with God. And uh, who you are is this middle part. You are your thoughts, your feelings, and your beliefs. But who you, who, the way you can actually see who you really are is through your actions. Because um, we all think our heart's pure and we're such a good Christian and we're doing everything right. But if you look at your actions, your habits, and your character, it shows on the outside what's really going on on the inside. We're all on the same page, right? Okay, today I want to talk to you about habits. And I believe if the Holy Spirit um, speaks to you today and if He uses me properly, I think it'll be the best sermon you ever heard on habits your entire life. Um, we all know what habits are. This is where we're at now is habits. Um, habits are things that we do involuntary. We've done it so long. We're repetitious with it. Um, we, 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 we formed habits through the way we were raised or being part of groups like churches or armed forces or, or sports teams. And we form these habits in our life, good and bad. Good habits could be that you smile regularly. Uh, good habits could be that you say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. You have manners. Those are good habits. Um, good habits are like exercising. Brushing your teeth is a good habit. You don't even think about it. You wake up and brush your teeth. How many of you do not do that? Okay, good. So everybody has that habit. Uh, there are bad habits as well. Bad habits are things like being late. That's a horrible bad habit. Uh, very successful people will tell you that if you're on time, you're actually late. But if you're early, you're actually on time. Yes, it is. So that's a good habit is to be early for things. A good habit would be to um, pray, read your Bible. Those are good habits. Bad habits, being late. Bad habits, getting offended. Bad habits, um, yelling. When you want to control your household, you just yell because that's what you've always done. It's a bad habit. It may have worked the first few times. You got a reward out of it. But in the long run, your family is not going to respect you. So yelling is a bad habit. Studies show, and I hope you have a, oh, I didn't get you all a sermon handout. Ushers, run down the aisles quick. Who needs a sermon handout? Raise your hand. You're going to need a sermon handout. I just remembered sermon handouts. I'm going to keep preaching anyway to save time, but you need a sermon handout. Studies show that 90% of our everyday life is based on our habits. This means the way you treat people, your work ethic. Your mood on Monday morning, um, the way you communicate, 90% of your life you're on autopilot. Everybody say autopilot. Now, that's good if you have good habits, but that's bad if you have bad habits, okay? So there's three parts to today's sermon. The first part is how habits work. That's scientific. The second part is how to form good habits. I'm going to use some science and some Bible. And then the third part of the sermon is all Bible. So it's going to go up, right? We're, going to, we're starting at the bottom and we're going to travel up. You with me? We're going to be on a good journey for the next 35 minutes. How do habits work? How do habits work? That's number one. So here's how habits work. Show a picture on the screen. This is a picture of a brain. I remember that commercial when you were a teen. A teen you used to watch Saturday morning cartoons. They'd bake an egg and they like, this is your brain and then this is your... Brain on drugs. Remember that? Yeah, that just came back to my mind. But anyway, I didn't do drugs. That's why I could remember that. But anyway, so this is a picture of the brain. The prefrontal cortex and the basal ganglia is what we're looking at, okay? The prefrontal cortex is the front of your mind. 
This is the part of your mind that you use when you're learning, when you're being taught something, when you're having to listen, when you're being educated, instructed. You're using this part of your brain. Once you have used that part of your brain with that particular action or that lesson or whatever it is you're doing, once you've done it 7 to 21 times, write that down in your notes, 7 to 21 times. Once you've done it 7 days to 21 days consistently, once you've said it, learned it, listened to it, applied it 7 to 21 times, your brain takes that information from the, from the prefrontal cortex and it moves it to the middle part of your brain, the basal ganglia, and what it does is it takes it and it moves it to that middle part of your brain and it becomes now something that you don't have to think about. Now you're on autopilot with it. Now you can do it without even worrying about it, without even being anxious, without even listening. It just comes natural. Let me give you an example. When you started to learn how to drive, you were using your prefrontal cortex. You made sure your hands are on 10 and 2 and you put your seatbelt on before you crank up the car and you check all of your mirrors and then you crank up the car and you fix your radio because you can't adjust the radio after you start driving and then you're looking through the mirrors before you back up and once you back up, before you accelerate forward, you look both ways 10 times and you're nervous, you're anxious, you're learning, you're hearing how to drive, you're working on it. After you did that 7 to 21 times, that information moved to the basal ganglia. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. And now when you drive, you don't even think about it. Now you can use your leg with your steering wheel. You're eating a hamburger like I do. And you, you, know, you, you think about using your blinkers. Maybe you can change the radio the whole time. Some of you have such a habit now of driving. You drive and you don't even know how you got there sometimes. Have you ever done that? You're driving and you think, how did I get, what, was I, what have I been doing the past five minutes of my life, you know? It happens to me all the time. In fact, there's times where if I'm coming to Market Common from my house on the bypass, no matter where I'm going to Market Common, somehow I always end up at the church. And I think, what was I here for? I came here for something. I think, oh, I'm meeting somebody down the road. Because it's a habit. Okay, everybody understand that. Successful people have successful habits. Now, this is very important because a lot of you think, well, I'm not going to reach my destination because I'm not as smart as they are. I'm not as educated as they are. I don't have the money they have. I don't have the contacts they have. Listen, it's not those things that make people successful. It's the fact that they learn how to develop a successful habit. People that are very educated, they simply have a habit of learning and growing and processing and reading and studying. People that have money, they have a habit of working hard and not spending emotionally and using wisdom before purchases and studying before they invest money. At some point, even if it was passed down to them from their parents or grandparents, at some point, they developed a successful habit. Okay, Successful people have successful habits. Okay, Now, there's good habits that successful people have. If they're successful in relationships, they learn how to compliment other people on a regular basis. They learn how to overlook offenses. They don't let little things bother them. They have deep relationships with people because they've learned to overlook offenses and let things go. Um, good habits. They say, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am. They, they gain respect by having manners like that. They've developed that as a habit. They work hard. They read their Bible. They pray. These are habits they've developed. If you develop a good habit, you'll go in a good direction because that's 90% of your life. There are bad habits that people have. People that are unsuccessful in relationships get offended very easily. They don't have long-term deep relationships because they've developed the habit of getting offended. But if you could learn how to overlook it and learn what the Bible says about offense and you do it 7 to 21 times, it'll just become part of your life and no big deal. Bad habits like looking at pornography. It's an easy habit to begin, 
but it reaps horrible results because you can easily look at pornography, but it's hard on your life and your guilt and your condemnation and your relationships. It's easy to be opinionated all the time and give people advice, but it's difficult to live with the fact that they don't really respect you because you're always getting in their business. A bad habit to be late, a bad habit to blame everything. Every time something goes wrong, they blame somebody. They don't have the habit of taking responsibility. Laziness, complaining, cussing, these are all bad habits, okay? Now here's the main thing I want you to see from this first part of the sermon is this. Bad habits are actually addictions, and addictions are actually what the Bible refers to as living in sin. Now when I say addictions, everyone in here thinks drugs, alcohol, and cigarettes. That's what we all our mind goes to, but I want you to listen real close. The bad habit that you have, let me say it this way, the ungodly thing that you do habitually is just as much of a living in sin as somebody who gets drunk on a regular basis or who's living in sexual immorality or who, um, who has drug, uh, drug addictions they just give into every day. It's all the same thing. Uh, James 1.14 says, each person is tempted by their own evil desire. The desire is conceived and gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's grown, gives birth to death. Here's what it's saying. You have these cravings. And if you give in to the cravings, it turns into a bad habit. The more you do it, it turns into an addiction. And the addiction always leads to death. A drug addict will tell you, or any kind of addict that goes to the different meetings, they'll tell you it'll lead to death if you don't conquer it. If you don't deal with it. Now your bad addiction may not be drugs, cigarettes, alcohol. It may be pornography. It may be cussing. It may be being negative. I can show you in the Bible where the habit of simply being negative destroyed two million people's lives. It was a bad habit they didn't deal with. They were living in sin. They stopped repenting. They stopped dealing with it. They thought it was no big deal. So I want to show you a sermon prop today for this point to kind of help you understand. This is Frappuccino from Starbucks, right? Everybody loves Frappuccino. Oh, man, it's so good. I would pass it around, but, you know, Corona. Um, anyway, the coronavirus, not the beer, just in case some of y'all. You know what else I love? Orange juice. I love, everybody loves orange juice, right? And orange juice is great. There's no doubt in my mind that all of you love coffee and love orange juice. I believe all of you in here love Jesus. I believe there's some sins that you do repeatedly that you actually love. You know, I hear people say, man... I love Jesus. I love going to church. I love serving. Ooh, naked girls on the internet. Mm. Man, that was such a good sermon today. Uh, but I hate that person that sat next to me. I love to give. Uh, just give me a second. Uh. <laughs> You get the point, okay? Now watch this. Remember Judas in the Bible? Jesus handpicked Judas, handpicked him to be a disciple of Christ. He loved Jesus. But he also loved money. And he loved money more than he loved God. Samson was handpicked 
by God and was given an anointing to be the strongest man in the world. Samson loved God. But the first words recorded out of his mouth in the Bible were, I saw a woman. He had a problem with pornography. I'm going to have to use the bathroom soon. (laughs) King Saul was chosen by God to be the first king to ever reign over Israel. Imagine that honor. And the Bible says he loved and served God. But did you know that King Saul had a problem with jealousy? Every time David did something, he compared himself to David and got jealous. Now here's the problem. Do you realize all three of those men killed themselves? When you think about jealousy, when you think about loving money, and when you think about pornography, you think, that's no big deal. Do you know that Judas hung himself, Samson martyred, killed himself, and Saul fell on his own sword? Do you know why? It was a bad habit they refused to deal with. Now, some of you, I don't know if you go back and forth. I love pot. I love God. I love pornography. I love going to church. But maybe some of you actually bring that sin with you everywhere you go. There's never any repentance. There's never dealing with it. It's just a part of your life. I didn't drink any. I am now just because y'all did that. James 1.21 says this, get rid of every, was this filthy? Get rid of every filthy habit and anything immoral. Do you know why? There's a difference between sinning and living in sin. When you sin, you repent, you recognize it, you go to God. I don't care how many times you do it, it's still sin to you. You keep going to God, you keep repenting, you want Him to help change you. But once that thing turns into a filthy habit, that you carry with you everywhere you go. And now it's no big, it's just part of your life. You do it, you don't even think twice about it. It's just who I am. I've done it for so long. My parents were like this. This is how we are. That's what the Bible refers to as living in sin. It's filthy and it'll destroy your life. It'll destroy. I personally don't think there's any difference between someone committing suicide at 20, 30, 40 years old and someone who lives to be 80 or 90 years old but does not fulfill their God-given destiny because of something so little as a habitual sin like jealousy, pornography, loving money, you name it. It's the same thing. I don't want to live till I'm 90 years old unless I'm going to fulfill my destiny. Go ahead and take me now if I'm not going to fulfill my destiny. Get me to heaven now, right? Um, There's three parts to every uh, habit I want you to see. On your paper, you'll see this. There's a trigger, there's an action, and there's a reward. The trigger is the thing that sets you off to start the action, and then you do the action because there's a reward. Here's what I want you to see. Every bad habit you have, you do it because there's a reward for you. You actually enjoy it. Don't tell me you don't because I know you do. Now, one of the ways we can deal with this is is we can change the reward to a consequence. For instance, uh, there was a lady who I knew, and, and she was a very negative woman all the time. Her husband knew she was negative. Her three kids knew that she was negative. So they came to me one day and said, what do we do about this? I said, listen, every time she says something negative, Every time she complains, every time she murmurs, I want all three of y'all to tell her you have to give me three positives about that situation. At first it was difficult, but do you know every time she said, I don't like the car we have, well, give me three positives. It's paid off, it's lasted us a long time, I think you know, it'll continue to go, we can get, whatever, name three positives. After a certain point, the reward of complaining turned into a consequence and she started doing it. The triggers, there's four different types of triggers in habits, that is this, place, time, mood, and people. You can remove the trigger if it's a certain person. Just stay away from them. If you always do drugs when you're around this person, stop seeing them. 
If there's a certain time of day that you know that you're going to get set off by a trigger, then get something else going that day. Watch a sermon that day. Spend time with a good friend. Um, the trigger can be a place. A friend of mine was an alcoholic, and every day after work, he would pass by a bar on his way to his house, and he would stop there, spend $50, and get drunk every day of his life. When he decided he wanted to sober up, he started taking a different way home from work. It took him an extra three miles, but he didn't pass that bar, so his trigger was not there, and he's sober now for more than ten years. Um, I'll tell you a habit uh, that I had growing up. Our family always said the word crap. You know, every family has their own non-cussing cuss word. You know, there's dang, there's shoot, there's darn. We said crap. We didn't think anything of it. Me and my siblings, well, that's just, that was just our word. And I got married at 20, started having kids. My first four kids were boys. We all said crap. No big deal, right? Playing sports, aw, crap. Playing games, aw, crap. No big deal. It's not the best word. It's not, you know, very high class, but that was our word. I didn't think anything of it. Till my fifth child, who was a little girl, at one and a half years old, wearing her beautiful Sunday dress with a bow in her hair and shoes to match, she could say, Mama, she could say, Dada. And she could smile and say, oh, quap. <laughs> when you hear your one-and-a-half-year-old daughter say, quap, things change in your household. Why? Because the reward turned into a consequence. Okay, so that is how habits work. Point number two, now we're going to get into some good stuff today. How do we form good habits? How do we form good habits? Okay, don't ever form a habit around accomplishing a task. Don't ever decide you want to have a habit to lose weight. Don't ever decide that your goal is to stop cussing. Don't ever decide that you want to start paying off bills and saving more money because it never works. 92% of every New Year's resolution ends by Valentine's Day. Do you know why? It's because their goal is a task. They want to accomplish something and wanting to accomplish something will never cause you to accomplish it. Even if you do accomplish that goal that you have, you'll lose it. Do you know why? Because they're skipping in order of life. They're focusing on a habit to reach a destination, but they forgot there's something in between. There's character. And if you don't form a habit that changes who you are, even if you get to the destination, you'll lose it because you don't have the character to sustain it. In other words, if your goal is to get thin, that's a great goal, but getting, wanting to get thin, even if you do get thin, you're going to gain the weight back. You know why? Because you haven't changed who you are. But if you can say, I want to be the type of person that goes to God for comfort rather than food for comfort and let God change that about you, then the, the destination will automatically occur. If your goal, some of you are going to get it. Once you get it, you'll say amen, I promise. If your goal is to stop cussing, that's a good goal, but it's not going to help. Even if you do stop, at some point you're going to go back. You know why? Because the character hasn't changed. But if you decide you want to be the type of person where you see communication as being godly and important, and you want Ephesians 4.26, not let any wholesome word come out of your mouth, only so that which is beneficial for the spiritual progress of others. If you want to be the type of person that uses their mouth for the right things, and you want God to change your mouth so that you can have a, be a godly communicator, then once the who is established, the do will come automatically. Isn't that exciting? Don't ever form a habit around the do. Form a habit around the who. Here is the type of person I want God to make me, and then naturally the destination will occur. Galatians 5.16, walk habitually in the Spirit, and you won't gratify the flesh. It does not say, 
don't gratify the flesh. It says, walk in the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit can change who you are. And once you become the person God's called you to be, you'll receive the things God's called you to have. Let me say it like this. Form habits that transform you into who you want to become rather than what you want to accomplish. Um, let me say this. Uh, David, remember David was anointed to be king at 17 years old. Did he become king the next day? No. Do you know what God did? God said, David, I want you to go back into the shepherd's fields. Yes, I've anointed you to be king. That's your destination. But I want you to be faithful in the little things day in and day out. Take care of the sheep. Because once you have the habit that forms the character, you can be the king I've called you to be. If God made David king the day after he anointed him to be king, David would have lost the throne because he did not have the integrity needed to hold on to that place. So he sent him to the shepherd's fields, and David was habitually faithful in the shepherd's fields, day in and day out. Do you know after David gained the character needed to take care of the sheep, you know what God did after that? God did not send him to the kingdom to be king. God sent him to the kingdom to be a musician. In fact, let me say this, God opened up a door. There wasn't even a position for that. But because his character was so faithful and integrous, God created a position in the kingdom. And now he's the musician. After he was faithful with that habitually, day in and day out, then God said, now I want you to be captain of the army. And he took him to another place. Finally, after 13 years of being faithful in the routine, doing the same thing day in and day out that God called him to do, he finally formed the character that he needed to become the king God called him to be. Your anointing will always supersede your position until your habits form the character needed to sustain your destiny. Uh, where God's called you to end up, is, is, is surp- the anointing for that surpasses where you are right now, most likely. The, the anointing that God has in your life is always going to be ahead of you. It's going to surpass where you are now. But once you form the habits that you need to have the character that God's called you to have, then that will produce the destination that God has for your life. Let me say it like this. We don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our character. No person rises, if, even if you do rise to the level of your goal, you'll lose it until you get the character that is needed to sustain it. If your goal is to read the Bible in one year, read the Bible in one year, I think that's a horrible goal. I'm going to read through the Bible in one year. Okay, what's that going to accomplish? If your goal, though, is to be the type of person that understands the Word and gets wisdom from the Word, then you should read one chapter or one verse a week. When you get home, make it the habit of taking your sermon hand out and put it behind your toilet. And every single time, because 7 to 21 times, every day you go to the bathroom, pull out the sermon hand out, get your phone, read the scriptures. If you read the same three or four scriptures every day for a week, 21 times, three times a day, or seven times once a day, imagine what type of person that would produce after a year. Reading through the Bible is a great goal, but it's not going to change you. Reading the whole Bible in one year, you know, you'll skip things. You'll just try to get through it halfway. Leviticus, you won't even really read. But you'll say you will, but you're lying. Anyway, and so you'll be a habitual liar. But so the best thing to do is get one scripture or one chapter. Read it seven times every week. And then think, imagine where you'll be a year from now with the person who you are. The who always has to come before the do. The who, when you see somebody who's made it, it's not the fact that someone opened up a door and they just happened to step through it and it was an accident. No, success is not accidental. Somewhere in their life they developed the character that was needed to have that place.
to have that destination. 2 Corinthians 3.18, as we continue to behold the Word of God, we are constantly, there's the habits, continue and constantly being transformed into His image from one degree of glory from another, for this comes from the Spirit. Okay, so watch this. I told you about habits, right? Getting to the part of your brain where it's habitual, successful people have successful habits. Then I taught you just now the way to form habits is to focus on the who, the character, right? Okay, listen, we're Christians. That means we can't change ourselves. That means only the Spirit of God can change us. That means we have to get in His Word habitually. We have to be people that have a relationship with the one who can change us, right? So then point number three needs to be goals that God can help us establish in our life that will create us in the person He's called us to be. So the point number three that I have for you is this. The greatest three goals or greatest three habits that any person could ever have. In other words, I believe that God has given me three habits I'm about to share with you. That if you do, will do these three habits, everything in your life will change forever. These three habits affect every single thing about who you are and what God's called you to be. They need to be easy because we're under grace. They need to be godly because he's the one that can change us, right? Okay, so here's the three habits that I'm going to leave you with. And I promise you, if you do these three things, everything else will be taken care of. It'll take care of, 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 of your weight. It'll take care of your cussing. It'll take care of your drugs. It'll take care of everything in your life, good and bad. Okay, here's the three habits. Are you ready? Say, oh, yeah. Number one is this. Put God first weekly. That means find a church, join it, and be a part of it every week. I don't care who's staying at your house, what relatives have flown in. I don't care if the president himself is sleeping at your home and doesn't want to get up. You get up and come to church. The greatest asset that you have in evangelism is that you live in Myrtle Beach. You can invite people to stay with you for free if they'll come to church with you. You say, well, they're already a Christian. Then they won't mind coming to church with you. I've heard every excuse in the world when we have people, unless you're sick, you need to be in church. Even if you're out of town, go to church somewhere. But here, here, let me tell you, here's the trigger. Remember, there has to be a trigger. Here's the trigger. It's the first of the week. The first of the week should go to the most important person in your life. When you got, before you got saved, you were the most important person in your life. After you got saved, Jesus and the body of Christ became the most important thing in your life. Hebrews 10.25, do not give up the habit of worshiping together as believers. Why is this one of the top three greatest habits in the world? Even if you're not saved, this should be your habit. You know why? Because sooner or later you will get saved. It's very important that you're part of a church that speaks truth and not just makes you feel good. You need to be challenged. Whatever church you find, be challenged at that place. It needs to be a place where you are challenged to get in deep relationships, not just hide in the background. Because if you don't have deep relationships, you can't learn how to love God and love people. <laughs> If you don't have, it's easy for me to love people. I mean, I don't have any friends or any relationships, but I love everybody. You got to get in relationships so you can learn how to forgive. So you can learn how to see the best in people. So you can learn how to value people that aren't like you. Once you really learn how to value people, you'll want to add value to people. Um, I heard about this guy who on Sunday morning, his mom was trying to get him up for church and he didn't want to go. And he said, Mom, I don't want to go to church. I don't like the lights and the music. I don't like the people there, and I don't think the people like me either. His mom said, well, you're coming to church, and there's three reasons. Number one, it's Sunday morning. Number two, you're 40 years old. And number three, you're the pastor, and they're expecting you to be there. <laughs> so the trigger is it's Sunday morning. The trigger is the first day of the week. 
The first, here's the reward, Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, put God first, and he'll provide you with everything else. That's the reward. That's the reward. It's the first of the week. It, um, I read a true story that just touched my heart. This little eight-year-old girl, she had an incurable disease. And the parents did everything they could. They actually flew out to Dallas uh, to meet with the, the, the top doctors in the world concerning this little girl's disease. And after a lot of tests, they brought the parents into a room and they said, we're sorry to tell you this, uh, but your little girl uh, only has a few weeks left to live. And they said, if you want to, you can come back on Monday and we'll start some treatments that will give her an extra month or two. Very painful, but we think it's worth it. Uh, they said, we suggest that you tell your little girl uh, nothing of this until Monday, but you take her home and you tell her you want to do anything with her in the world. Whatever she wants to do, this is her weekend it'll be the last weekend that y'all have as a, as a healthy family. And so um, they flew back to their home, and they actually told the little girl that Friday morning. Uh, they said, the doctors told us that in a few weeks you're going to go to heaven, and we're going to come after you, but you're going to go first. It's going to be okay. We'll be right behind you. Uh, you, you won't even miss us. It'll, be, it'll all be fine. Uh, but we want to take you and do whatever you want to do this weekend. Disney World, Six Flags, this is your weekend. They were church people, believers. They were members of a church. And the little girl said, well, I don't want to miss church on Sunday. They said, no, you don't understand. This is the last weekend that we're going to do something really big. It's your weekend, whatever you want to do. She said, Mom, Dad, I don't want to miss church. I want to go to church. They said, we, we go to church every Sunday. Every Sunday, give, name anything you want to do. She said, I want to go to church. So they stayed home, and they went to church. After the praise and worship, they dismissed the kids. And the pastor's preaching, and they're in children's church, and they do their little verse, and they make their little, um, you know, the thing they make for the parents, the little, little craft. And they did prayer request. And when they got to the little girl, she said, I want you all to pray for my mom and dad, because I'm going to go to heaven, and I don't want them to be sad. And the, the teacher kind of knew what was going on, and she put two and two together. So her and all the other kids prayed for the little girl. The next day on Monday, they flew to Texas. And they ran a few tests before they were going to start the treatment. And the doctor said, uh, we, we need to do some more tests before we start the treatment. Come back on Tuesday. So they came back Tuesday morning, did more tests. The tests landed, last, lasted all day long. They said, okay, Wednesday we're going to start the treatment. Just come back tomorrow. So they came back Wednesday. They did tests all day long. They said, okay, I promise Thursday's the day. Just come back there, we'll start the treatment. They get there Thursday, and they pull the parents into a room just filled with doctors, just a huge conference table, big room. The doctors had charts and graphs and folders, and they're all sitting there. And they said, we don't know what happened. We ran test after test after test after test. Your little girl no longer has this disease. She's 100% totally healthy, totally fine. Y'all can go back home. What was that? That was the presence and power of God meeting where his people pray. That's normal for God. And it's normal for a healthy church family. It's normal. The reward, Hebrews eleven six. God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The second greatest habit, I think, you, and listen, I've studied human nature for the past decade. I've studied the Bible longer than that. This second point, I think, is the most important point of any habit anyone could have, even if you're not even a Christian. Because sooner or later, I'll show you why. Put God first financially. If there's one thing I want my children to do, one thing is always tithe to the local church. Uh, Matthew 6.21 says, it's where your treasure or your riches or your wealth is, 
there your heart will be also. The reason I want them to do this is because no matter what addictions they face, what negative things happen in life, what mistakes they make, there is a direct correlation between your money and your heart. Everything you love in life are the things that you spend money on. And if I can make sure that people closest to me always have their money in the kingdom of God, no matter what other strings are attached to their heart, sooner or later it will always follow their money. Um, there's some rewards for this. I'll, I'll tell you. The, the first one, I started tithing at 23 years old. Since then, um, I've never once ever been in need and it not been met by God. Not once. At 23 years, I've never worried about money. Not once since I was 23 years old. Second thing is this. is No matter what bad things I've done or what horrible things I've been through, I've never even once thought I'm not going to serve God. You know why? Because my money has always been in the kingdom of God. And it's called the first fruits, the first tenth. It's not after you pay your bills, what's left over. The first goes to God. He is first. And money is one of the most important things in the world. So if I can take that one thing and put it first in the kingdom of God, everything else will follow. Number three is this. Put God first daily. Every day. Every day. Uh, Psalms 1-2, prosperous is the man who habitually meditates on the word day and night. Put God first daily. Um, the trigger for this, and let me say this, the trigger for putting God first financially is that you got paid. Uh, the fact that God allows you to work. Listen, let me tell you how great it is. Go back to point number two for me. Let me tell you how great this is. God allowed you to be put in a place where there's non-believers and you get paid to be there and be a minister and be a light to those people. Isn't that a blessing? God allowed you to be in somewhere where there's people that don't know God. And you get paid to do it. You get paid to serve people. And to be a light. And to have integrity and be faithful. You get paid to do that. You get paid to be an evangelist. Monday through Friday. Or whatever days you work. Every time you get a paycheck, that should be a trigger that God comes first financially. Okay, now bring me to number three. Put God first daily. The trigger for this is this, that you woke up. A lot of people didn't wake up today. The fact that you woke up should be enough of a trigger for you to spend a few minutes with God before you start your day. I'm embarrassed to say that I didn't start doing this till about four or five years ago. Uh, for, for most of my life, the minute my eyes open up, I go to work. Turn on my phone, start making phone calls, immediately start my day. About four or five years ago, I was so stressed out. One day I thought I was going to have a nervous breakdown. I felt like God was saying, John Paul, you don't rely on me. You don't rely on me. You rely on your own gifts, your own talents. Your own, you don't rely. I said, what do you mean I don't rely on you? He said, you don't rely on me. You don't talk to me about your problems. You try to fix it yourself. So now every day, the first thing I do when I wake up, I spend a few minutes, and sometimes I'll just think about huge things that God's done for me. Sometimes I'll think about small things that he thinks I may have forgotten, but I didn't. Sometimes I'll pray out loud for my friends, my wife, my kids. Sometimes I'll just hum a worship song. But the first minutes of my day always go to God. It's the greatest habit you could ever have. The reward in Proverbs 3, 6 is that when I acknowledge God, he'll always direct my paths. It's a great reward.
um, here's the last four minutes. Okay, I want to end with this. In Joshua 6, um, Joshua's leading the children of Israel to the promised land. Okay? This is the extra five minutes I needed for the sermon. Their parents were led by Moses. And when they got to the promised land because their bad habit or their addiction to complaining, they all died. They didn't make it into the promised land. They died because they had an addiction to complaining. So now Joshua is leading the next generation. Okay, They get to Jericho. It's the first city of the promised land. There's a fortified wall. You can't go in. You can't go around it. And so God told them in Joshua 6, 3 to do this. He said, march around the city once a day for six days. On the seventh day, march around seven times. You think maybe God was trying to form a habit in their life? Then all the people are to give a loud shout. He says specifically in verse 10, don't let a single word come out of your mouth, not even a whisper till I tell you to shout. Their parents could have easily passed down the bad habit of complaining, but God said, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go in circles. I want you to just go in circles. Just keep marching. Don't say anything negative like your parents did. Just keep on going in circles. Sometimes in life, we feel like, I'm going to church, I tithe, and I pray every day. Is that it? I mean, I don't really see anything changing. Is God at work? The first day they went around, nothing happened. The second day they went around, nothing happened. The third day, if they had been like some of us, they would have said, man, nothing changes in my life. Nothing's going to happen. I just keep doing these same things over and over and over again. Listen, what you don't realize is that habit of being faithful in the little things that I just mentioned, those three things that people don't really pay attention to much, that's forming the person God's calling you to be. Why didn't God knock down the walls the first day or the second day or the third day? It's because God wanted to see if they would be faithful behind the scenes doing something that seemed insignificant. But it says in verse 20, on the seventh day they marched around seven times. They gave a loud shout and the walls of Jericho fell flat. You think if you had been there you would have thought the shout is what brought down the walls. But it's not. It was the faithful routine of doing the little things behind the scenes that was forming the character that they needed so when they did shout, they'd be able to enter into their promised land. Here's what I'm trying to say. The things that no one sees you do are the things that bring the results that everyone wants. And I can promise you, if you will be faithful, coming to church... Giving and spending every morning with God, just a few minutes, I can promise, things will change in your life. In fact, I, I dare even ask for a show of hands, but if I did ask you, how many of you have, you have your lives changed since you've been coming to Solid Rock? You'd say, oh yeah, okay, think about adding to that. Think about just every morning with God. Think about taking the greatest test any human faces, which is the test of money, and putting that first. Imagine where you'll be ten years from now. I can promise you, out of everything we talked about today, if you'll form those three habits, everything in your life will go in the direction that God wants it to go. And everything else will fall into place. When you get in a church that preaches the word and truth, those other things you battle, it'll take care of itself. When you put God first, He's the Spirit that changes you. If you'll put God first, and that's your habit, everything in life will fall down after that. Amen.
Amen. Okay. Prayer partners come forward. Musicians come on up. And I want to invite everybody in here to please bow your heads with me for just a few minutes. I want to um, I want to take a minute. And I want to give a, a minute for the Holy Spirit to speak to you. You know, there's so many books on habits and so many self-help books. And there's so many uh, public speakers that love to, um, uh, you know, just encourage you and um, try to get you to change yourself. And none of that stuff works. If we could change ourselves, we would not need the Holy Spirit. If we could, If we could succeed on our own, we wouldn't need God. So I want you today to put aside all the all the the bad habits, all the addictions, all the things you wish could change. I want you to put aside all of the goals that you've had, lose weight, pay off bills. I want you to put aside all that stuff for a minute, all of it. And I want you to think about three things. Putting God first every Sunday, putting God first every time I get paid, and putting God first every time I open up my eyes in the morning. I think that if you would focus on those three things and say, God, <laughs> Sunday goes to you. I want to make sure my heart stays in the kingdom. And I want every time I open up my eyes to realize it's a miracle. I believe those three things will cause dramatic change in your life. And I think everything else will fall into place. So if you're here today, and those are three habits that, that you have not given yourself to. Because really, all three of those is simply trusting God. All three of those is, God, I trust you to give me the, the energy or the, or, the, or, the, or the wisdom or the social skills or whatever I need to put you first on Sunday morning. God, I trust you to take care of my bills. I'm not going to worry about finance anymore. I'm going to put you first and, and believe that you're going to give me wisdom on how to spend the rest and you're going to give me the ability to work and you're going to give me promotion. And God, I believe that if I spend the first few minutes with you of each of my day, I believe that you're going to direct my paths all through that day. So I'm going to trust you. If these are three areas that you want God to do in your life, can you just lift your hand so I can pray for you right now? Okay, hands up. Lord, thank you so much for every person that had the faith to raise their hand and say, I need Jesus. I can't change without Jesus. I can't do anything without Jesus. Jesus, right now, as we lift up our hands, we're saying that not only do we have the desire to put you first in the three most important things in our life, but today's a new day. Today we're going to trust you and we're going to start this believing that you will change us. Believing that your spirit will change. God, you'll open up positions. When we put you first financially, there might not even be a position. You'll open one up just for us. And God, the, 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 the meetings or the confusion or the anxious or the stress that we have, when we put you first every day, you're going to direct our paths. You'll direct us away from the people that might trigger us to do certain things. You'll direct us through the right doors. You'll direct us to not walk through the wrong doors. You'll direct our paths. And God, when we put you first Sunday, the first of our week, we believe that you are a rewarder of those that diligently seek after you. So we thank you for those rewards right now. Lord, we thank you that all those other things you'll take care of. All those other bad habits, all those other dreams and desires, that's all you. 
we trust you completely. The rest of our life, we're going to go in circles. Church, give and pray. God, you, you, you're in control now. We're no longer in control. We surrender it to you. You're the man. You're in charge. You know what's best, so we give it to you right now. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. I thank you for the extra five minutes today. You were very patient with me. You can stand to your feet. We have prayer partners at the front and at the back. If you need prayer for anything today, if you're not saved, if you're not born again, come down for prayer. Go to the back for prayer. You can't change without Jesus. So if he's not in your life, don't expect any change. Jesus is the changer. Put him first. Prayer partners are available. We're going to worship to one more song and then we'll dismiss you. Thank you so much for coming out today.